Mark chapter 12, we'll be reading um, verses 13 through 17. Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17. If you have a, a pew-style Bible, it's on page 848 of Mark chapter 12. And if you would read for the standing of, or read, uh, stand for the read, reading of God's word. Read for the standing, something like that. I get paid for a living to talk. You wouldn't know. And they sent to Jesus some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came to him and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and that do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a Daenerys. And let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you, and we lift up our hearts to you because we need you. We need your guidance, we need your wisdom, we need your word. For we are easily distracted by the things of this world. We so quickly listen to uh, the worldly wisdom that seeks to draw us away from the way. But Father, we thank you that you're a God who is compassionate and gracious. And that you lead us back. And often you come and you rescue us from the rocks of despair and doubt and uh, disobedience. And you bring us back to the path that your son, Jesus Christ, has paved this new and living way into the holiness of God. And Father, we thank you that you're God who hears our prayers. Father, we come to you today and lift up those in the congregation who are at need those who are struggling with cancer, those who are struggling with um, just physical calamities and maladies, those who are struggling with mental uh, illnesses and strain and depression. And Lord, uh, we need you. Our bodies and our minds are weak and suffering under the effects of sin. Father, uh, we lift up this morning uh, Jennifer Giddens. As Phil told me this morning, she uh, has tested positive for the virus. Lord, I... I thank you for the many people who have received good care and, and have been able to uh, be restored and uh, overcome the virus. And uh, Lord, I pray for Jennifer. I pray for her husband, Kyle, their children, their community uh, for safety. Lord, I, I pray in the midst of all this for our, our governor, uh, president, Lord, for our representatives, for uh, the local leaders uh, that are making decisions. And I pray that those decisions would be uh, based on wisdom, based on your word, based on uh, the revelation that you, of how your world works uh, through biology and sciences. And uh, Lord, that we as a people would be safe. Lord, I pray that we would also uh, submit to the authorities and, and be uh, cognizant of that, Lord. And I pray that you would protect us. May we love our neighbors well, <clears throat> those we know and those we don't know. Father, I pray for those that are separated from us this morning. Um, Lord, we are not whole right now as a congregation, and we need um, all of our body 
um, to be able to fulfill our function of glorifying you and going and bringing the gospel to Jack's Beach and Jacksonville and to the nations. Uh, Lord, I, I thank you for the privilege and the, and the pleasure of calling Ocean Park my home. Lord, I, I pray that you would guide and work and glorify yourself here, that we may be satisfied in you and that you may be glad, as glorified in us. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Mark chapter 12, uh, verses 13 through 17, it's a brief interaction between Jesus and Herodians and the Pharisees, but it, I think it's very, very applicable to where we are today. Um, have you ever been asked a question and you knew that the question the people were asking was really not the answer they were seeking, but they had ulterior motives in the question that they asked. And I know many times as a pastor, I have been asked theological, random theological questions, and I sometimes wonder, why in the world are they asking me this question? What do they really, what, do, what answer are they trying to find? What uh, uh, argument are they trying to win? What are they, action are they trying to justify by asking this question so they can go and get a rubber stamp? Well, the pastor said it was okay. Uh, and often we find ourselves in these situations, whether it be with our children, our grandchildren, uh, our co-workers, uh, um, even uh, our friends and family members. We ask questions that we don't really know what people are looking for. And sometimes that uh-oh feeling in the back of your head says, be careful with your answer because um, something doesn't smell right. I don't know if you've ever been in those situations, but I uh, certainly have found myself uh, many times in those situations. Jesus found himself in this situation, and Mark tells us that his opponents, who uh, we see earlier in the book of Mark, were trying to trap him in his words and to kill him. Um, they were starting to put the clamps down on him. And Mark, through Jesus, uh, the teacher, of Jesus is going to tell us, uh, teach us this morning, my big idea, I don't have a TV screen to do it, so you have to do it the old-fashioned way through your memory and through your pad and pencil. Uh, but disciples of Jesus honor the state, or uh, in, this, in other words, state or country. Disciples of Jesus honor the state, but pledge allegiance to God alone. Disciples of Jesus honor the state, but pledge allegiance to God alone. Uh, the context of the next three weeks that we're going to be is in three successive people that are going to be able to bring questions to Jesus, and they're trying to trap him. And they're using their knowledge and their expertise to lure Jesus into this trap so they could get him and they can kill him. We know that right in these uh, interactions that are taking place, it's Tuesday of Holy Week, Friday, um, they will accomplish what they're trying to get, but they're not real sure how they're going to do it, but they're trying desperately and ardently to be able to pull this off. So we uh, are introduced in verse 13, it says, they sent to him, uh, the Sanhedrin, we can assume from context, the Sanhedrin sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Now, the, if you know anything about these groups of people from context, these were an odd couple. Uh, it was a strange um, teaming up of two groups of people. The Pharisees were nationalistic. 
they, were, they would say Israel first, and the Herodians really were themselves first, and they said, whatever helps me. So they were really the stooges and the lackeys among the Israelite people, or the Jewish people, for Rome. Uh, the Pharisees were narrow and conservative. The, the uh, Herodians were syncretistic and liberal. The Pharisees were right-wingers. The Herodians were left-wingers. The Pharisees resisted Rome for everything that they could, but the Herodians accommodated Rome and did whatever they could to fawn and to be able to gain favor because they knew that if they got the favor of Rome, they were in good shape. They were really unlikely partners. It would be, I try to think, who would be two groups of people that really would never get along, like cats and dogs? And it would be like this. The NRA joining up with PETA to be able to uh, oppose uh, a candidate or something. These are two groups of people that would never come together. And sure enough, uh, the Herodians and the Pharisees are coming together. But why would they do something? Why was this so unusual? Well, they both despised Jesus. And sometimes if you can come together against a common enemy, you can put aside your differences. And the Herodians and the Pharisees were doing this. The Pharisees were dis, um, wanted, didn't like Jesus because he was disrupting their religious agenda. And the Herodians didn't like Jesus because he was disrupting their political agenda. And they were willing to work together with despised rivals because they both wanted Jesus dead. Notice then, then it continues in 13b. They sent to him some, and know what they wanted to do, to trap him in his talk. The word trap here literally means they're to hunt something. There is a great um, vengeance that they have towards Jesus, this bloodthirsty. They want Jesus and they want to trap him. And they were going to bait him into something that they could point the finger and say, aha, we told you so, let's go get him. Now we have something. Luke, in chapter, Luke chapter 20, verse 20 um, Luke really puts a lot of detail, and he says this, And so they watched him, and they sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they may catch him saying something he said, so to deliver him up to the authorities and the jurisdiction of the governor. This evil alliance was setting a violent trap and waiting in bloodthirsty hopes for the Lamb of God to stumble into their trap. In verse 14, it says, they came and said to Jesus, teacher, and you can almost hear the tone of flattery here, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Throughout Proverbs, we learn about flattery. Um, Zachary, would you turn me down just a hair because I'm getting a little bit of feedback. A lying, uh, Proverbs tells us about flattery. Flattery says a lying tongue hates those it hurts, and flattery works ruin. <clears throat> That's good. A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his steps. The enemies of Jesus knew the deceptive power of flattery, and they were wielding it with perfect precision to be able to preserve and protect their power and their interests uh, and against any challengers. They came to Jesus with lips that were sweet as honey and speech that was smoother than oil as they beckoned Jesus to walk in their carefully camouflaged trap. 
They knew and they fawned at Jesus. They knew that Jesus spoke uh, what he knew to be true because Jesus did that. And Jesus, and they knew that Jesus was not swayed by public opinion and he wasn't. But the irony is that they thought that their flattering words could um, lure Jesus and sway him in their answers. But as we know, they were wrong. But how were they going to trap him? What were they going to lead him astray? Uh, And so they brought up taxes, and it's an election year. Uh, We all know and love taxes, and uh, that was no different back in the first century, and probably there was even greater animosity towards this, because the Romans had what they called a poll tax or a head tax. For the pleasure of breathing Roman air, you had to pay a tax to be able to do that. And for the last 25 years, the Romans took a census to be able to number the people and be able to collect from them a tax. And the tax that they had to collect was a denarii, which is equivalent to a day's worth of labor. Uh, Whatever it may be for you, think if I had to pay a day's uh, pay to the government uh, for that. And this was animosity that was going and growing. And so the Pharisees saw this as an opportunity to show Jesus that he would, uh, they thought they could get Jesus to say pay the tax and that would make the, the Jewish people upset with him. And the Herodians thought they could get Jesus to say don't pay the taxes and that would bring swift penalty from the Romans. And so they said this is the perfect trap. This is the perfect um, lose-lose situation. So they come to Jesus in verse 14 and says, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? This is one of those um, hot button issues, one of these powder kegs that takes just a little spark and lights it, sort of like who you voting for, Trump or Biden? Right there, bam, it gets ugly real quick. Same thing with the poll tax, with the head tax. This was, uh, um, there was great angst and anxiety here, and it was a lose-lose question for Jesus. It's like when you go ask a, a husband, Um, Hey, are you still beating your wife? Uh, That's a lose-lose situation, no matter what you say. Um, So Jesus knew that, or the Pharisees knew that the crowds would be upset, or the Romans would be upset, depending on what side of the fence Jesus fell. And they waited for bated breath to see which pit, the tigers or the alligators, that Jesus would fall into. Unfortunately, much to their dismay, Jesus was smarter than that. And we notice in verse 15, he says, But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you putting me to the test? Bring me a denarius, bring me that coin, and let me look at it. And they brought it to him. Jesus refused to walk into their trap. Instead, he backed them into, uh, backed them into the trap. Wow, that was really loud and really close to my ear. Wow, don't do that. Just to, I just want to make sure if anybody thought, what should I do with the microphone? Should I stick my head right in front of it like that? Wow. If it, somebody could, somebody's phone is ringing, if they could stop that. Um, uh, where were we? Jesus was not going to walk into the trap. Um, and, but what he does is he flips, he flips it and says, um, let me have a coin. Give me the coin. 
And the irony here is a beautiful irony because the people that were trying to trap Jesus with the question about taxes to Caesar, they have the coin, but Jesus doesn't have the coin. And so they're the one playing uh, Caesar's reindeer games, and Jesus is not. So he calls them, and he um, brings them, and he says one side, and I had this beautiful graphic, but we're in the parking lot. One side of the denarii, it said, Tiberius Caesar, August son of the divine Augustus. They were um, a coin, one side that says Caesar is God. And then the other side had a picture of Caesar's, uh, Caesar's mother, Livia, with the words high priest. And so the coin, in essence, was a portable idol to the Roman emperor who believed he was God. And Jesus looks at the coin and brings the coin to himself and he looks at his accusers and he says, whose likeness and whose inscription is this? And they said to him, duh, it's Caesar. It's like looking at a a, a copper coin with Abraham Lincoln's uh, image on this and said, whose image is this? Who does this belong to? And we know it's the United States Treasury because the image on the coin indicates who it belongs to. It's like getting a gold coin with a common loon, the duck-like creatures or goose-like creatures, knowing that that belongs to the Canadian royal mint. It's like looking at a bronze coin with the silhouette of Queen Elizabeth, recognizing that it belongs to the royal mint of the UK. The image and inscription of Caesar indicates that this denarii, this coin, belongs to Caesar. And Jesus tells them in verse 17, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. When you do business with Caesar, you have to play by his rules. And if you have no qualms about owning and possessing Caesar's money, why do you have qualms about paying Caesar when he calls for his money? Jesus, in effect, tells his opponents, let Caesar have his idols. Caesar is only sovereign over the things that bear his image. The coins, the roads, the taxes. However, Jesus is about to show us and demonstrate that Caesar is not sovereign over the hearts of men and women who were created not in Caesar's image, but were created in God's image. Genesis, the words of Moses, echo in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he have created them. Ocean Park, brothers and sisters, we have been created in the image of God. We literally have been stamped with the image of God, and we bear his name in his likeness. We don't belong to Rome or to Washington or to Tallahassee. Our allegiance is not to Trump or Biden, Obama or Bush, McConnell or Pelosi. Our value system is not set by the American dream or the American way. Our worth is not based in capitalism or socialism. We are image bearers of God, and we belong to God, not the nation we live to. 
we live in. We answer to a greater king. And the currency of our king, uh, excuse me, we answer to a greater king. Our citizenship is in another kingdom, a greater kingdom. And the currencies of this world are not good in the kingdom of God. They are worthless in his kingdom. A little later on, Jesus uh, is going to reveal, and Mark does this later on in, in um, chapter 12, verse 30 and 33, that what do image bearers of God render to God? What do we owe God? Notice in 30 through 33, Jesus answered, the most important is this. What are the greatest commandments for image bearers of God, for God's people? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your affections, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment, uh, there's no command that is greater than these. Washington and Tallahassee have a legitimate claim on our money for the services that they render, good and poor but they have no claim on our hearts and our souls and our mind and our strength. That belongs to God alone. The disciples of Jesus honor the state. We serve our nation and we serve our nation well, but we pledge allegiance to God alone. I want to give you three, in wrapping up, I want to give you three points of application because i thinking through with this election year and COVID and everything is politicized and it's out of control and honestly, it's very, very discouraging. I want to give you three points of application that I want you to think about. I want you to mull it over and I don't want you to be like those people on the other side of the aisle or those people with different convictions or those people on the other side of the Atlantic. I want you not to think about the person sitting next to you or behind you. I want you to think about yourself because often uh, we don't see the pride of our own hearts. We can see the pride in other people's hearts, but it's like carbon monoxide gas It's odorless and it's tasteless in our own hearts, but it slowly kills us. And I think the pride of Satan has been slipped through unbeknownst to us. One, give government something, but not everything. Give government something, but not everything. Government, good and bad, has been instituted by God to punish evil, to reward the innocent, and to maintain peace. If I had a much longer sermon, we could go off of tangents on that. But government has been instituted by God to punish evil, to reward the innocent, and maintain peace. And as Christians, we must be honorable citizens in the country where we live regardless if it's democracy or socialism or communism or dictatorship. Regardless if the leader belongs to our party or shares our ideology or we can't not, um, or our leader makes our skin crawl. For we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are the salt of the earth to enhance and to preserve our cultures. Therefore, Christians must honor our leaders for they are granted authority by God. Christians must not give our government your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, for they belong exclusively to God and his kingdom. 
You bear the image of God. You serve in Christ's kingdom. You further his agenda. We live in this between two worlds. We honor the state. We want Christians involved in government to be able to make sure the laws of our land reflect the priorities of God. But they are not the ultimate ends. And I realize in this culture, in this context, we're talking about the United States, but our brothers and sisters throughout the world that we've been praying for continually, they want to be a salt in a, in a world that is dangerous in a government that's against them. They want to be faithful members as far as they can. Because we honor the state, but we belong to God and we give him our everything, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we give the government something, but we don't give them everything. Second thing is we obey God rather than man. We obey God rather than man. A Christian should be a model citizen of every country uh, who is faithful to follow the law, honor and pray for the authorities that we may have a peaceful and quiet life. However, we recognize in our world and throughout church history that is full of examples of men and women who have had to, the choice of whether I obey my government or I obey God because they are at polar opposites and they're asking me to do um, different things. And when we have to choose between obeying the law of the land and God, we must obey God and render to him our obedience. Two examples in scripture are found in the book of Daniel, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were model citizens living in a foreign land under a foreign king. But when it came time, when that king said, you must worship me, they only rendered their bodies to the worship of God, despite how hot the flames in the furnace were. And they said, we worship God alone. He will protect us, and if he doesn't, we will worship him alone. Like Daniel, who rendered honor to a tyrannical king, but he refused to obey the king's edict to cease from praying to the one true God, despite the roar and the hunger of the lions. He said, I will obey God and not man. Ocean Park, we are not free from civil law that um, promotes peace and order for the people. However, when the values of this world collide with the values of God, we render obedience to God alone. Not only do we give government something, but not everything, do we obey God rather than man, but we find our identity in God, not in politics. And this is probably the most sticky of them all. When somebody hears your name, when somebody brings your name up in conversation, what do they think of? Is it politics? Is it sports? Is it art? Is it music? Is it work? Those are all good things. But do they say, you know that Mary, that Johnny? They love Jesus. What permeates your conversations if I were to go look on your social media today, on your Facebook page, on your Instagram, on your whatever it may, TikTok, whatever TikTok does, when, what, what um, monopolizes your time? What stirs your passion? What gets you upset? What pushes your buttons? 
Is it that you belong to Jesus? Or is it that you belong to Trump or Biden? Does your life reflect the image of God or the image of a donkey or an elephant? Sadly, I fear in my watching of social media that many professing Christians who say they render lip service to God Will they give their heart and their identity to politicians and ideologies and, ident- um, and their other identities? We make our political affiliation the litmus test for a person's intelligence, their worth, and whether or not that we can have fellowship with them. Like their party affiliation is part of the, uh, of the, te- the 11th commandment or the Sermon on the Mount. We render to Caesar what belongs to God. As Christians, our identity is this, that we are image bearers of God who have been bought by the blood of Christ. We show honor to the rulers of the world. We pray for the rulers of this world. We vote. We get involved in our political process, but it does not define us and it is not the end. And if our politicians don't win on November 4th, it's not the end of the world. And the other team wins. It's not going to destroy us. And if our guy wins and our party wins, It's not going to all be rainbows and unicorns. I'm old enough to know that's the case. We show honor to the rulers of this world, but this world is not our home. We are citizens of an eternal kingdom that is not shaken by the turmoil, by the chaos, by a um, hostile takeover or about a change in power. Ocean Park, the kingdom of God, brace yourselves, hold to your chairs, is filled with Democrats and Republicans and people that are politically homeless. The sit, the, it will be a place in heaven where socialists and capitalists sing together in perfect harmony the praise of Christ has redeemed people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. So I want to ask you this. What is your identity? Is it Rome? Is it Washington? Or is it because... You belong to Jesus. May we be a people who use every breath to render to God the praise and the honor and the glory that he is worth by singing and living and making much of the song of salvation as long as we have breath. For disciples of Jesus, honor the state, but pledge allegiance to God alone. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that for the words of Jesus that remind us that as uh, citizens of the countries that we live in, we honor our emperors, our presidents, our parliaments. We pay our taxes. We follow the law, recognizing that you have made governments Uh, have given them authority, even governments we don't like. But Father, we recognize that our kingdom, our citizenship is ultimately in heaven, where we will sing the story of salvation for all eternity. Father, convict us, reveal to us where we have put our faith in kings and princes and not in the Lord, the name of the Lord our God. 
that you may be glorified and we may be satisfied in you. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.